Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, we're going to read verse 18 down through verse 25. Again, a familiar passage, I'm sure, especially at this time of the year. We're going to turn our attention to that this morning. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through verse 25. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away, put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, ask your blessing now as we come before you in this time of preaching, Lord. I pray that you've received glory from the songs that we've lifted up in praise. I ask now that you would remove the distractions that might hinder the word, that you would help us to have attentive hearts and attentive ears, Lord, and let your spirit move among us and in us, helping us and teaching us what we need to learn. Give me the grace to say what you would have me to say. I thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. So we're continuing on in our series for this month. I just want to remind you of the focus. We're uh, considering the true gifts of the holidays. Again, in a time where we can be very materialistic and our mind can be captivated with stuff, we need to find out what the true gifts of the holidays are. These are gifts that are given from God. The gifts we actually need. You ever have somebody on your Christmas list who really doesn't need anything, what, what can you get them? My grandparents are like that. Grandpa's been alive for 94 years now. What more could he need? He's just had about just about everything. Or you have those people that really don't want much. Well, these gifts that we're talking about, everybody needs and everybody wants, whether we say so or not. These are the gifts that God has given us and a gift that we stand as His people to give others too. You see, there's a responsibility that comes with it. We've been given these gifts and we can communicate these to others. And I want you to know this morning, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what background we have, it doesn't even matter what we've done, there are some gifts that God wants to give us. Gifts that God wants to give you if you will accept them. That's the caveat. That's the, uh, the exception. We have to accept it. We've already spent time looking at two of the four we'll look at. We looked at love the first week. 
true and lasting and fulfilling love, love that makes us feel safe and secure and accepted. That's the love that God gives us. That's the love that God shows us in Christ. And it's a love that He teaches us how to love others with now. We looked last week at joy. That deep, calm satisfaction, that deep, calm, settled happiness that comes from Him. One that surpasses all circumstances. One that fills our hearts. That's a gift from God. A gift that God would give us. And this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like to focus on another true gift of the holidays, and that is peace. Peace. I think that's something we all want, right? We want peace in our lives. We want a peaceful existence. And actually, it's something we take for granted until it's gone. Because when things are not peaceful, you know it right away, don't you? In fact, it kind of consumes your mind. It consumes all that's around you when things aren't peaceful. Deep down, we're longing for it, whether we know it or not, or whether we say it or not. The dictionary, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, defines it as freedom from conflict, tranquility. It's used in the Bible some 400 plus times. The Hebrew word is shalom. I'm sure you've heard that before. It's used actually as a greeting. People would greet each other with that. And it, it means completeness or soundness or welfare or that idea of being tranquil. The Greek word irene means tranquility and quietness and harmony. I think you get the idea. We have the idea of what peace is in our minds. And the Bible speaks a lot about it. When's the last time you met somebody who was tranquil? When's the last time you met somebody who was at peace? Do you know somebody like that? Somebody who is peaceful? Who has that effect on those around? One who has this air of calmness? It's getting harder to find, isn't it? It's getting harder and harder to find people who are peaceful. In fact, when's the last time you met somebody who was tranquil who wasn't taking a tranquilizer? It's probably been a while. This world is not a peaceful place, is it? This is not a peaceful place, and it's all in society. It's all around it. And I'm not just talking about wars or conflict between nations. I'm talking the very basic thing of human interaction. People are not peaceful. Just drive around. Just walk through the mall. We went to the Tyler Mall last night. My goodness. People everywhere, and they don't care to get... You best get out of their way or they're going to mow you down. And People are not peaceful. The world is very much void of peace around us. And that's not just externally. Most of the unrest that we see, most of the unrest that we experience when we interact with other people, is because there is no internal peace. And just as much as the world is lacking and looking for love, lacking and looking for joy, 
This world is lacking and looking for peace as well. Which is why God offers it as a gift. He gives it as a gift that is free, and it's a gift that He wants to give you. If you're not in a peaceful place this morning, if you don't have a deep, settled peace within your heart, God has that to give you if you would accept. Even if you've known Him for years, decades, it's still a gift that He offers. Do you know today that you can have peace in your heart, peace in your mind, peace in your soul and spirit? We can have inner peace. Now don't let the people that do the yoga and eat the grass shakes and all that ruin that for you, ruin that phrase. Inner peace comes from God. Inner peace is a scriptural thing. This deep-seated tranquility, this deep-seated peace of spirit that comes from Him. And just like the joy that He gives, this peace is in all circumstances too. Of course, because Christ has come to us. All of these gifts are a result of Christ. His coming, His dying, His resurrection, His living forevermore. The call to follow Him that He gives us. All of these gifts are a result of Christ. And there is an announcement made at the birth of Christ. We read those verses last week. The angels declare what? Peace on earth. We can have peace because Christ came. And this isn't like world peace like what Miss America asks for. This is deep-seated, true, and lasting peace. So how do we get it? I hope to help in answering that question this morning. I want you to notice first here in our text the predicament that Joseph finds himself in. It's pretty perplexing. And let's just be honest right from the get-go. We find ourselves in places that are perplexing, aren't they? Times that we ask, what is going on? What happened? What's going on, God? And that's why we have this text as our account this morning. Because Joseph finds himself in quite a situation. Confusing, perplexing to say the least. Joseph is an understated character of the, of the Bible. Most of the focus when we, when we talk about the birth of Christ is of course on Jesus and rightly so. I mean, he is the reason for the whole of Scripture. We should focus on Him. We spend a lot of time talking about Mary or the wise men or the shepherds. But don't forget about Joseph in all of this. Joseph is a good and faithful man and he had a very important part. Just as Mary was blessed of all women to be the mother of Jesus, Joseph, of all men, is chosen to be the stepfather to the Savior. And I believe he was a good one. I believe he taught Jesus how to be a godly man, though he really didn't need it. I believe he raised him in a good and godly home. He who made man became man and grew up in a good, godly home because of both Mary and Joseph. So Joseph is a, he's an important character in Scripture. And we read texts like this and we're familiar with it and we have the, the, the tendency to say, oh, how nice and sweet. That's so good. 
Don't do that. Don't do that. You're cutting yourself short. You're cutting Scripture short. Spend time when you read the Scripture to think how this would have been. Because this is an account of real life. Think how it would be. Joseph lived this, and it was not easy. It wasn't easy. So let's back it up a few months before this text, okay? Joseph is just a normal, humble man living in a small town named Nazareth. Nothing special about the city. It's just a small town. Um, He's got a good lineage, a good family. We can see that from uh, uh, both Matthew Actually, the first part of Matthew here, we can see that he has a good lineage. It stretches back to David. He's a descendant of David, which actually is kind of important. Mary is a descendant of David. Joseph is also a descendant of David because he would be the legal father, the legal guardian of the Savior. He's a carpenter by trade. We see that from other scriptures. That's a humble and an honest living. He's a hardworking man living a pretty normal life. And the Scripture tells us here he was engaged, betrothed. Betrothed to a young woman named Mary. Now listen, I believe he's just like any other young man. Probably not much older than some of you here. He's got a good trade. He's hardworking. And I think he's looking forward to marriage. Just because he's betrothed doesn't mean there's no emotion involved. Maybe the families had known each other for a long time, and maybe he had known Mary for some time. I don't know. The Scripture doesn't say, but I know what I was like looking forward to marriage. I was excited. I couldn't wait. And you know how us men can be? We... When we're in love, we do things like buy chocolate and we buy flowers and we buy teddy bears and we write cards. We would never write anyone else on the earth. <laughs> we do those special things. I wonder if he did those for Mary. I don't think it's outside of the realm of possibility. Did he make her things? Did he build her things? Carve her things? I don't know. Was he counting the days? I know I was. Why would he be any different? He's got just a normal life looking forward to the same normal things that we do, right? And then his world comes crashing down. Turn over to Luke chapter 1. Keep your finger here because we'll be back. But I want you to get just a little bit of backstory before we dive into the text. Luke chapter 1. Let's pick it up in verse 26. Luke 1 and 26, then in the sixth month, that sixth month, we'll find out here in just a few verses, is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the mother of John the Baptist. When Elizabeth is six months pregnant with John the Baptist, what we're going to read here happens, okay? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph. Let me just say in passing, that word virgin means exactly what it means. It doesn't mean young maiden. It means one who has not known a man. Don't let anybody tell you any different. That's a biblical doctrine. 
Jesus was born of a virgin. You might not think it's that important. It is extremely important. He has a birth like no one else ever has, no one else ever will. Jesus alone does this to fulfill Scripture, to show the power of God, and to be the very Son of God. Verse 27, To a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that, thou that art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible." And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Verse 39, And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into the city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's fast forward down to verse 56. And Mary abode with her about three months, and returned to her own house. So Mary receives this blessed announcement, the message of God that you're going to be the mother of the Savior. The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and you're going to be with child even though you have not known a man. A very special, holy, blessed thing. Joseph's not there. He doesn't hear this. Mary does. Joseph doesn't. And then all of a sudden... She gets up and leaves, right? Is that what verse 39 says? She received this announcement. She arose in those days, went into the hill country with haste to Elizabeth's house. What would Joseph think about that? Where are you going, Mary? Why are you taking off so quick? Why do you have to go <coughs> to Elizabeth's house? What's going on? I'll be back. I'll be back. Well, maybe she's just going to help. Maybe she's just going to visit. I don't know. But she'll be back. It's a little odd, but I guess it's okay. And then she's gone for three months. Verse 56, Mary abode with her about three months. That's a long time. I can't really stand to be away from my wife more than a couple hours. Three months? Day after day after day? I imagine he watched for her. I imagine he couldn't wait to get back, for her to get back. And then she comes home. And he sees her. Maybe he ran out to meet her. Maybe he waited at his house. I don't know. But it wouldn't take long before he noticed. What's that? She's three months pregnant. She would be starting to show, if not showing. What's that? I'm sure he would do a double take. I'm sure he would hope and pray that she just gained weight. But that's not it. 
What's that, Mary? What did you do? And then his mind would start. No, 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 no. I can't be seeing this. His mind would explode into a hundred different scenarios. Who was it, Mary? The Holy Spirit? Are you nuts? You expect me to believe that? How could you do this? Come on, Mary. What did I do to deserve this? Did I do something wrong? What am I going to do now? You know what this means, right? Oh, others would notice too. Nazareth would be abuzz with this latest scandal. It's a small town. People talk. And her and Joseph would no doubt be the talk of the town. And there would be pressure from family. You can't marry her. Look what she did. From the rabbis, you know what the law says. <laughs> no, this is not easy. Our text in Matthew 1 is not a peaceful scene. This is life-shaking. And I want you to know this morning, into that, God gives peace. Into the moments where life is shaken, into the moments where we don't understand what's going on, God gives peace. You might find yourself in some kind of a situation like that, Something that is perplexing and you have no idea what happened, but it hits you out of left field. What we need to know and what you need to know is in that you can have peace. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1. I want you to notice what it says about Joseph. Verse 18, Matthew 1 and 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, that's the phrase. While he thought on these things, like the thinker statue, right? Hmm. No. No. This word is from two Greek words. It means in passion, anger, emotion. Breathing hard. Things revolving and revolving and revolving around in your mind. That's what He's doing. We would explain it today as a panic attack. This thought consuming Him. Finding himself short of breath, racing around in his head like a marble in an empty glass. You ever been there? I have. Thoughts clattering this way and that. She's been unfaithful. How could she do this? I know what the law says. By the law, she should die, and I cast the first stone. How could she do this? Why? 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 Why is this happening? How am I supposed to do this? This is not what life was supposed to be. It was supposed to go this way and be that way and now everything is ruined. Now listen, he's a just and righteous man. The Scripture tells us in verse 19, he chooses mercy. A quiet divorce because I don't want her to get hurt. That shows and speaks volumes of his character, but that doesn't, thought, that doesn't stop the thoughts. Man, he has to be devastated. 
In his mind, his future is ruined, and what do I do now? And it is at that moment that God steps in. Verse 20, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not. Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Fear not. That's a powerful little phrase that is powerfully ignored. It's given to us some 360 times in the Bible. Fear not. Fear not, Joseph. Don't worry, Joseph. It's going to be okay. You may think everything is ruined, but it's not like you think. Here is what the reality is. Though you might think it's different, I've got this, it will be fine. Trust me, Joseph. You will be fine. That's what he says. Not so many words, but that's what the message of God is to Joseph. Joseph, hold on. Trust me. It will be fine. Now let's hit the pause button here. I wonder, I just wonder what it would be like if one of us uh, contemporary Christians were transported back into that day and we stood in that place. Listen, I believe both Mary and Joseph are what we call Old Testament saints. They are believers in the mercy of God. They had been saved by the mercy of God, looking forward to the coming Messiah, true believers of the law, Old Testament saints, still human, still susceptible to all the things that we uh, go through, but I believe they're righteous people. Okay, And I wonder how a Christian today would respond. If one of us were transported back there today, now listen, I might seem a little cynical. I've been in this work my entire life, 38 years. 30 of those being a born-again, baptized member of His body. And I've seen a lot of people, of people's reactions. And I wonder what some people would today would respond like. Fear not, Joseph. It's okay. It's okay. F- fear not? What? what like, like you just saying that's going to make everything better? It's not that easy. It's just not that easy. That's nice. I know you're trying to be all helpful and biblical, but it just shows you do not understand me. You do not understand my situation. It is not, it's simply that easy. Fear not. Listen, there's things I need to do. I need to go down to the rabbi down the street and see what he has to say. I need to read the writings of the rabbis of the other town. I've got to go to the local nervous Nazarite meeting and talk this out. I need to find that plant that makes me feel good and ponder the wisdom of the man on the silver mountain. It's not that easy to say, fear not. I might be a little sarcastic and over the top, but I don't think I'm too far off. Could it be that we today, as God's people, have a lack of peace in our lives because at the very core, the core issue is a failure to trust God and His Word? 
a root cause that leads to other problems, other issues. Could it be a failure to truly trust God and His power and His provision? And I'm not talking in a magic, cure-all, abracadabra, say-it-and-go-away kind of way. No. But to trust the Almighty, His Almighty power, and His Almighty ability to work. And hopefully I can explain that. Listen, we've got so much information coming at us, don't we? So many voices in the mix that tell us what to do, how to act, why and how, that this is normal, this is not, you're to blame, they're to blame, this works, this doesn't. We've got doctors and podcasts and books and articles and opinions ad nauseum. Like an orchestra without a conductor or sheet music. You ever walk into one of those things when they're tuning up and it's just, oh man... Each one playing their own tune and none of them quite seems to match up. But in all of that, there is a sure and steady voice of truth. God's Word. Given to us with a message of peace. A message of peace in a person. And a message of peace for the present through some promises that He has given. First, we need to know who the message is about. There is peace in a person. Look at verse 21. He shall bring, she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This child is special, Joseph. He is the one. The one who has been promised. He is the Savior. And you get to be a part of that. I, Joseph knew the promises. He knew Isaiah 7.14, which Matthew quotes here in verse uh, 22 and 23. He also knew Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He knew Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. Joseph knew these things. See, This child is so much more than any other child. He is God incarnate. God with us. He is the Prince of Peace. And what you need to know first this morning is you cannot have peace without Christ. You may find some temporary reforms, but you cannot have true and lasting peace without Jesus. That only comes through the salvation that Christ gives us. Without Him, we are not at peace with God. In fact, Romans 5.10 says we are enemies of God. Enemies not in the sense that God is at war with us, like He's out to destroy us. We'd all be dead. We've got no chance to stand against that. No, more like enemies in this sense. When a child disobeys and slams the doors on his parents and says, I hate you. We have done that to God. We have disobeyed. We have separated. We have severed the relationship by our own sins. We have walked away. And God, God pursues us. God pursues us. He offers the gift of a 
us the gift of His joy and love and peace in Christ. Yes, judgment comes when we reject, but it's after we reject offer after offer after offer. God pursues us. God calls us back to Himself even when when we are still sinners. Romans 5 tells us that. And we can have no sense of true and lasting peace because we are fighting against Him. We are fighting against His plan for our lives, whether it's consciously or not. It's only Jesus that can give us true and deep and lasting peace. Why? Because He saves us from our sins. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. His blood cleanses us from sin. His sacrifice gives us new life by faith in Him. He saves us from our sin and reconciles us back into God into a peaceful relationship. That's what you and I need to know first this morning. Peace comes from Him. And let's be honest. We get into more trouble. We get into more unrest and more worry because of our own sin, don't we? But Jesus delivers from that. Listen, even if you've been saved for many years, we still can get in trouble. We still can do the wrong things and that brings trouble. He still cleanses us from sin. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive them. Do you have that peace this morning? You can in Christ. Through the salvation that He offers, through the forgiveness that He offers, if you would come to Him and trust Him by faith, your sins can be washed away and you can have peace with God. There is peace for you in a person this morning and that person is Christ. But I also want you to know that He guides us and He guards us. He gives us the the gift of eternal peace, but He also gives us the gift of present peace. Peace right here and right now. Notice verse 22. He gives us peace in the present. Verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet. Did you read over that phrase maybe a little too quickly last time? All this was done that it might be fulfilled. That what might be fulfilled? God's Word. God kept His Word. God keeps His Word. You know, there were some people at the time that this prophecy was given to Isaiah and things were going pretty bad and there was a nasty king on the throne that said, I don't see how this is ever going to happen. God with us? It seems like right now God's not here. But God kept His Word, didn't He? And there might be some things you read in this book and say, I don't see how I can ever experience this. God keeps His Word. He works to keep His Word. Joseph knew the Scripture. But when it came time to trust it, Did he? You might know some Bible verses, but when it comes time in your life to trust them and to take God at His Word, do you? 
Or do you think yourself right out of it? Listen, we have the perfect, completed, perfect Word of God. We don't need angels or dreams anymore. We can read what God has to say. We have all that God wants us to know right here. All that He would say to us is right here. You can throw out every other single book in every bookstore, every commentary, every devotional book, and you have this, you have what is perfectly sufficient. All you need to know is right here. Given to you in a language you can understand. And it has a message of peace. Peace in a Savior. Peace in guidelines. Listen, when we follow what the Word says, we have peace. You be the husband you're supposed to. You be the wife you're supposed to. You have love. You have joy in your household. And you have peace. When you're the employee that you're supposed to, you have all of those. When you do what God says, we live a life of peace. When we live spiritually, spirit-led, spirit-filled, Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. God gives you what you need to have a peaceful life right here. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, and peace. Imagine that. Some of the greatest gifts that God gives are a result of His Spirit working in us. All of that meant to keep us close to Him. I think we understand that. We understand the guidelines are meant to keep us in a peaceful life, right? So we should follow them. So we should be obedient to them. Do what God asks us to do. And to stay that, that will help to keep us away from the unrest and the brokenness that sin can bring. His Word can keep you from brokenness. But what I want you to know this morning too is He keeps His Word in your brokenness. He keeps His Word in your brokenness. Because sometimes we fall. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we find ourselves in a dark place and it's very hard to trust. Kind of like Joseph. What do we do? I want you to stick with me now so I... I hope this comes across clear. We all need to hear this because we all find ourselves in this place at one time or another. In those moments, God gives us peace. In those broken moments, in those faithless moments, in those hard times, God will give you peace. See, we have a tendency to do one of two things. Sometimes we fail and we let our failure consume us, right? That's not the case here in the text. Joseph didn't do anything wrong. But think of uh, the, the account of the woman caught in adultery. Or the, the one who comes before Christ and says, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes there's failures and we get stuck on the fact that we sinned. I messed up. How could I do this? And we begin to beat ourselves up, right? We fall and that's all that we can think about. How bad we messed up. And listen, that doesn't bring any kind of peace, does it? First thing we need to understand is what we need to understand grace. 
By grace ye are saved. We did nothing to earn salvation, and yet He saved us. We did nothing to merit any forgiveness of our sins, but that is offered. And the Bible says if we confess and forgive, He removes our sins. Psalm 103, He has removed my sin as far as the east is from the west. He is the Father that welcomes the prodigal son home. We have a forgiving, loving Father that if we truly repent in our heart, He is there to forgive and restore. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So understand the grace that God gives. The other, is to see, the other thing that we have a tendency to do is see no way out of the situation. This happened. This is hopeless. And I'm trying to pray and be holy and read. And it doesn't seem to be working. It doesn't seem like it's that simple. And people keep saying it. Is there something wrong with me? Am I not doing something right? Because it doesn't feel any different. It's at those moments we need to understand and trust the promises of God, the power of His Word, of who God is and what He can do right here and right now. Not when I get to point B. Not what He did for me before. What can He do for me now? I want you to flip over to Romans 8. I want you to see, hopefully, a clear um, illustration of this. Romans 8. This is one that helps me. As a pastor, I'm not immune to these things. I've got my own life and my own struggles. And there's a weight here that maybe four people in this room know what it's like to bear. Three or four. Four or five pastors and their wives. They know what it's like to bear. The weight of the care of the church. You see, all of your anxieties, all of your struggles are mine too. My heart breaks when your heart breaks. My heart breaks for things that you don't even consider about yourselves. There are I know a, a very unique set of challenges that come with being pastor. Things that attack your mind, things that attack your heart. I'm not immune to that, like I'm up here in a bubble. No. I, I know what it's like to be in those dark places at times. And here's what helps me. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to His purpose. That Verse has been cherry-picked and thrown at people so much. It's all going to work out for good. Well, there needs to be some backup to it. This is a promise, right? This is God's Word. All things are going to work out for my good. So whatever it is, right now, right here, this situation is going to be for my good. I can't see it. I have no idea how, because this stinks. But He said that. It's going to be for my good. How's that going to work? Keep reading. For whom He did foreknow, He did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, He justified, and whom He justified, He glorified. God is working, right? 
We can see God's working in His call. I've experienced that call. You've experienced that call in your life. You've seen God work and how He cares for you. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who, should, who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see the backup and the substantive Wait, that those verses give that verse 28? How do I know all things are going to work out for my good? Because I know the God who is working for me. Nothing can separate me from Him. Nothing. Not things done to me. Not even things that I do myself. It is God who has justified me. It is God who has called me. It is the risen Christ who stands and makes intercession for me. Nothing can separate me from Him. You know what that does in those dark moments? That gives you a foothold. That gives you a rock to cling to. I don't understand a lot of what's going on, but I know that God loves me. I know that nothing, no one is going to separate me from Him. And that gives me just enough to hold on to. Listen what David says in Psalm 42. Oh God, oh, oh my God. One of the only right uses of the phrase, by the way. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. All thy ways and thy billows have gone over me. This is too much, Lord. You keep letting it happen. It's too much. Yet, the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. I will say unto God, my rock, why, have, why hast thou forgotten me? Why art, thou, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise Him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. David saying, I'm going through a hard time right now. I don't understand God, but I know enough that you're with me through it. You're enough that you are my rock, and I will again praise you. I shall yet praise Him. Not feeling so much of it right now because it's a hard time, but I know He's going to get me there. Yes, this hurts. Yes, this is hard. But here in this, there is hope. God is my rock. God is with me. God loves me. There is nothing that can separate me from Him. And He has given me some wonderful promises. Things He said like this, My peace I give unto you. Not like this world gives. 
I give you my peace. Things that say, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Not the thoughts, not the circumstance. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The Scripture says, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord. Verse after verse after verse. There are promises like that. And God doesn't give empty promises, does He? It's enough to put in my heart that even if I don't feel that right now, He's going to get me there. There have been times in my own heart where I have not had peace. There has only been unrest. There has only been struggle. But God has brought me through that to a peaceful place. And there might be some other things we have to do. We might have to simply get up and take the next step and do the best that we can. Having this deep-seated peace within us, knowing God's leading. God is with me. God can heal me and bring me through this. No situation is hopeless. You understand that? No situation, no person, no circumstance is hopeless. None of them are outside of God being able to fix it and to bring peace in it. Does that make sense? Notice what Joseph did. I'll turn back there. Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took unto him his wife. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. He did what God asked. He did what God asked. Through the doubt, through the thoughts, he did what God asked. And he could have walked away. He could have said, no, this is too much. This blessed event is going to happen regardless. And if he would have walked away, he would have missed the unspeakable blessing of being part of it. And I wonder how many times we have walked away from the Lord unwilling to trust. I mean, down deep at the very core of our being to trust Him. Ultimately, the source of Joseph's peace was God's Word and acting in light of it. You understand he still had a hard road to walk for the rest of Mary's term and probably for most of the life of Jesus, he had to hear, that's not your child. She was unfaithful. Most of the community would say that. In fact, the Jews do. We know our Father, who is yours? They say to Jesus. It was a lifetime. The rest of Joseph's life, he had to deal with the talk and the the pressure. But the source of his peace was God's Word and acting in light of it. Trusting God at His Word. Maybe we need that down deep in our heart. Because that's the best thing that we can do. Is to trust Him. Believe His promises. And live the best that we can in light of it. 
Sometimes you're going to find yourself in a situation where maybe you've been maybe you've been disobedient to the word and you find yourself lacking the peace of God because of your own actions. Listen, certainly that applies. If you do not know Jesus, you need to come to him. You need to be saved, ask forgiveness of your sins and let him cleanse you from your sins. And you need to do that before it's eternally too late. Because God extends offer after offer after offer. He loves you. He wants to give you this gift of eternal peace if you would accept. If you find yourself this morning straying from His plan and and having a hard heart to what He would have you to do, maybe you need to get back to that. And know, once again, His peace. And sometimes life happens. And it's not that we disobeyed. In fact, we're trying our best to be obedient. But life still happens. Down at the core, even amidst some other things that we might have to face and struggle through, down at the very core, the best thing that we can do is to trust His Word. To trust God, the Almighty, Sovereign God, who can bring peace amidst the chaos. That's going to be the best thing that we can do. That's going to give us the foundation, the rock to hold to, the true and deep-seated peace, even though we might have to sail through a storm. Whatever the case, that's a gift that God wants to give you. He offers that. He wants you to have a peaceful life, not only eternally, but right here and right now. But as with all gifts... You must accept. You must open your heart. You must trust Him. You must yield to Him. I can't do that for you. Oh, I wish I could. No one else can do that for you. It's only you. So I pray that if that's something you need to do, you would do that even today. Let's bow our heads. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for Your Spirit. I thank You for all of the awesome promises that You've given us. All of the times I can look back in my life and see that You kept Your Word. You were there through the hard times. You were there holding me up. I ask for faith and strength to trust You more. That You would let Your peace rule in my heart and in my life. That I might be able to share that gift with others around me. I pray, Lord, for those here, if there's any struggle going on within any hearts, Lord, if there's someone here that needs to know Your peace, whether it be through salvation or just a renewed trust and, and faith in Your Word, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that You would draw by Your Spirit and that You would give the peace that passes understanding. I thank You for all that You've done. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.